0: Just as Lucien spoke about that picture of another picture that I've heard years and years ago of just a guy and he comes to Jesus and he's in heaven. And even though he's in heaven, he sees Jesus at a distance and he comes walking towards him. And uh, as he starts walking more and more closer to Jesus, he starts feeling more and more shame, more guilt. And all his sin, all the things that he's ever done wrong in his life, all the horrible, just the worst kind of stuff that he could think of that made him feel super bad, felt like he's the worst thing ever, so unqualified, so unworthy, so just disgusting before Jesus, just came all over him. And he couldn't, he just picturing all this grotesque stuff that was in his life, and he just dropped to the ground and was just in this heap as if just wipe me out, kill me, send me to hell. And in that place, Jesus comes up right up to him and also just reaches out his hand and lifts him up, grabs him and looks straight into his eyes and just says, I love you. Even in the midst of all that stuff, even... Though that we are so unworthy, so full of all this rubbish and just absolutely have no have absolutely no power to be able to make ourselves any cleaner or any better or any more righteous, Jesus sees us and goes, I know, I know while you are your worst, while you've even rejected me, I still love you and I'm going to make you clean. I just had a picture a a few years back as well of where I was outside and I looked out the window and my bin had fallen over for some reason and all my rubbish was out all over the street. I was annoyed because I have to go out there and clean it all up. But just as I was there in that place of annoyance having to go out there, God says, that's what I've done to you. All the rubbish, all the sin, all the junk that's inside of, of us has been cleaned out Completely, and we've been made totally 100% righteous, totally 100% clean and pure. And not only that, we're not just empty, but He fills it. He fills us with His holiness, with His perfect goodness. In Colossians 1, it says, There's a mystery that's been hidden for the ages, a secret. That has been kept hidden for this whole thousands and thousands of years. But now, this mystery has been revealed. And that is that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's the secret. The secret of all things is that Christ is in us, it is the hope of glory. The world needs Jesus. Every single one of us needs Jesus. There's no other way to the Father. There's no other way to be righteous. There's no other way to be right, to be, to be how we're meant to be, how we've been created to be, other than in Christ. There's no other way. So Jesus, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to come into your presence The privilege of being one with you the privilege of being saved we thank you God that you love us so much that you would look at us while we're sinners while we're in our worst place and you still say I love you you still lift us up and bring us into a place of salvation so we thank you for that father thank you so much you are awesome Um, who thinks Lucian did a good job? It was awesome, eh? So this morning's probably going to be a quick morning. Um, all I have is a couple scriptures that I feel to read and I don't know what's, what I'm going to say yet, so we'll see what happens. But if you want, you could turn to Romans chapter 1 for me, please. So Romans 1, we're going to read verse 16. This is Paul who's writing, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul here, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I remember a time when I was quite young, or not quite young, when I was in my teens and high school and then even into my 20s a little bit. I was ashamed of the gospel. How many have felt that? Ashamed or, let's say, shy to share the gospel to unsaved people, to friends, family, workmates, whatever it is. There's times where we feel fearful and a little bit nervous because we're fearful of what, they, what someone's going to think of us. And you see people out sometimes in the city with their signs or, or with a microphone and maybe a little amp, and they're out there street preaching. And we can think of those sorts of people and go, oh, I I admire their courage, but sometimes we can also think they're a bit crazy. But they're out there on the street corner preaching unashamedly the gospel of Jesus. But that's not what this means. Do you know that? That's not what Paul is talking about. He wasn't talking about being too afraid to share it in that sort of way. In those times, remember he's in a, in a very much a Jewish kind of commu- community where in order to follow God, you had to obey the law. Obey the Mosaic law, Ten Commandments and all the other commandments and the whole culture. And when you did that, that is what was pleasing to God. That is what would earn you a sense of righteousness before God. It was shameful to think that you could earn a sense of righteousness and good standing before God by any other way than through your good works and your following and keeping of the Ten Commandments of the law. So Paul is there saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it preaches a righteousness that can come from God apart from you having to follow the law. It's interesting when you read through Paul's life how much people wanted to kill him. They hated him for his message. They absolutely wanted to grab a hold of him, stone him, behead him, do all sorts, throw him in prison. Why? Because of the message that he was preaching, which was the gospel, which is you can be righteous apart from the law that is by faith only in Jesus Christ. That's why it says he's not ashamed. It's not because he was too scared to stand up and talk to people. He didn't have a fear of man. Right? Before his life, he was grabbing Christians by the neck, dragging them out of their house to kill them. He didn't have a fear of people. So when he's talking about, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, he's talking about the fact that we become righteous, not by obeying the law, but purely by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now here's another part. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, the righteous will live by faith. What it says here though is, I remember a story about a guy, um, he's, he's searching for the power of God. He's like, what is the secret to the power of God? I want to live a life of power. I want to live a life of miracles, signs and wonders. I want to live in the victory that Jesus has won um, and just live in that that sense of just a powerful life. He's asking God, what is the secret? What is the secret? For hours praying, what is the secret to the power of God? And he gave him this scripture that in the gospel right the gospel is the very power of god because in the gospel again the righteousness of god is revealed to live a life of power is to live completely righteous and again how do you get righteous how do you receive righteousness it's not by obeying the law it's not by trying to be good. It's not by your good behavior. It's not by your bad behavior. It's not by any of those things. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with Jesus' performance on your behalf and your faith to receive what he has done. So turn over to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at this scripture here. Do you know Christianity? I've heard this before. Christianity is spelt G-I-F-T. It's all a gift. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. Your absolute best performance that you could ever do will never be good enough to earn any of the glory or any of the presence or any of the blessings of God. How, how could we even have those sorts of thoughts? It's such an arrogant thought to think that you could ever be good enough for God. He is holy. He is perfect. He is God of everything. And How could we, as such insignificant little things, think that we could earn heaven? Yet it's preached in churches all the time. The way that you get more of the presence of God, the way that you get more of the blessings, the way that you get your miracle is if you're more righteous if you're more holy. But you can't be. It's impossible for you to be any better than <laughs> at all. So let's look here. Romans 5 verse 15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, talking about Adam, how much more did God's grace And the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift that followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundance provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many would be made righteous. There's a comparison that, that Paul is making here between first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam was obviously Adam and Eve in the in the garden and he and he eats of the tree, sins and he falls into a sinful state. And what it's saying here is that everyone, all humanity, after the fall of Adam, has now been like, fallen also into that state of sin, into that state of sinfulness. It says that consequently all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us are in that camp. All of us are born into a state of sinfulness, which means that we can't do anything in our own strength to try and get out of it. Now, so he's saying here, just as every one of us was uh, fallen into that state of sin, that through the one man, Adam, that also through the one man, Jesus, all of us can be saved. All of us are lifted up into a place of salvation, into a place of righteousness. Now, when we're in Adam, none of our amount of good works, none amount, no amount of our striving to try and be um, a better person could, to, could allow us or give us the strength to be able to climb out into Jesus, climb into a place of righteousness. There's no way. There was, it's only through Jesus that we've been able to be saved. Like I said in that, that vision this morning, where Jesus sees us in a place of sinfulness, he reaches his hand out and he lifts us out. Jesus is the only way. He is the only way. There's, there's, this message, I think, needs to become more and more clear throughout the world, that everyone needs Jesus. It says here that first from the Jew right the way through to the Gentiles, it means it's saying all people, it doesn't matter what background, it doesn't matter what race, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, where you've come from, where you've grown up, how old you are, it doesn't matter what culture you're from, every single person needs Jesus. He's the only way to be saved. All men have fallen short because we've all fallen in Adam, and the only way is through faith in Jesus that we can be saved. He's the only righteous one, He is the only holy one. Let me look at this other scripture. Second Corinthians five it says, "God made him who had no sin he's talking about Jesus to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Jesus was 100% righteous. He was 100% holy. He was 100% perfect and always obeyed God. Did he do anything to deserve our sin? Obviously not. Did he do anything in his life to deserve all the wrath of God being poured out on him? Not at all, did he? Yet he was given it. All sin. Every single human. All the sin in the world. All the rubbish. All the stuff that was... uh, All the disobedience. All the rejection. All of it was placed and imputed in Jesus. And he didn't deserve any of it. And then God punishes Jesus. All wrath because of that. All the wrath was poured out on Jesus in full, to the full extent, even beyond what uh, anything, any, all the sin. It says, like, how much more did he just disgrace, cover that sin? It was fully poured out on Jesus, yeah, he didn't deserve it. Then the Bible says that us, that we may become the righteousness of God. Now, did we do anything? To deserve righteousness? what Did we keep the law enough? Did we do anything at all for us to deserve it at all? We couldn't, could we? That means we can't do anything to lose it. See, if you can't climb out of your sinful state into good works... It means through bad works you can't fall. It's consistent, isn't it? You can't do anything to earn salvation. It means you can't do anything to fall from it at all. My dad's gone on a lot, a, a lot of just reinforcing this idea that salvation is eternal because it's locked up in Christ. You can't steal it. You can't take it away because we've been made one with Jesus and Jesus can't fall from the throne. So we can't also fall from that throne. As I said before, it's the mystery. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages is that Christ is in us. He is the hope of glory. That every single one of us has been crafted and shifted. In in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about how we've been made a new creation that he has fashioned us in such a way to be the new temple of the Holy Spirit, to be the new house, the new vessel that carries Christ on the earth. That is amazing. Jesus walking on the earth through you and me. A few weeks ago I had that, I think I shared it. Just over and over I had this thing that God was saying to me, that Jesus is in me. He's in me. He's in me. Jesus is in me, and then he, and that he wants to live in and through me. More and more, the, the whole gospel isn't, like I've said this to somebody, it's a nice little saying, but there is power in it. That The gospel isn't about you trying to get you into heaven. The gospel is about getting heaven into us. It's getting heaven into you so that you can release heaven into the world. The end of the book, it doesn't say that we go to heaven. It says that heaven comes to earth. It's the whole point. It's the, it's the largest project that God has. It's the biggest thing in the universe. It's all about heaven coming to meet with earth, coming to have its uh, establish its house here and be here forever. And he does it through you and me. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And you may not feel like it. You may not have any sense of the presence of God, you may not feel a single thing. It's still true that Jesus lives in you. It doesn't matter. I shared that story a few weeks ago of how I was praying for uh, that uh, Wiccan lady in the, in the city. And Wiccan, if you don't know, it's like a witch. Right? They, they do satanic kind of rituals and um, they believe in supernatural power obviously from another place. And they've got some funny ideas, but they, most of them do have some strange experiences, supernatural kind of experiences. And so just praying for the lady, and she just feels the power of God rush through her whole body. And I didn't, I didn't feel a thing. I was there nervous as anything, fearful. I didn't know what, any, all I felt was like, Ugh, what is going to happen here? What is this person going to think of me? And she feels the power of God, and is surprised, jumps back and goes, what was that? And then she goes on and makes this statement, I didn't know Christians had any power. And that's just like, it is sad, because every Christian has the most powerful thing in the universe living inside of them. It's not a thing, I shouldn't say that. most powerful person, all of us have Christ in us. It's the hope of glory, and every single person needs to see it, needs to hear it, needs to meet Jesus. So our assignment for each of us is to lead people and invite people into a relationship with Jesus. It's what we're here to do, to let people know who he is, what he's like. It's not merely some place that we get to go to heaven is god god is heaven right heaven is in god right we, sometimes we think that god is in heaven he's huge heaven is actually in god and we're in god he is in us it's just a weird kind of combination but what it's the picture that it's kind of giving us is that we've been fused with christ and there's no way that we can rip it be ripped apart there's absolutely nothing you can do to be ripped out of Christ. The only way that, you, that it could happen is Jesus has to go back and die again in the, on the cross and then go back into the grave and go somehow just go backwards in time, go through that whole process so that you can then fall back into sin, have sin put back inside of you so that you can be back into a place where you're separated from God. And it's impossible to do that because you and Jesus has been made one. In Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus has an indestructible life, that he can't be killed. They tried. But he'll live forever, and so will we. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Jesus, he's the most perfect person that you will ever meet. He's the best person ever. I just want to, I don't know, I want to know him more and more and more and more. You can't get any closer to him, though. You're like this. There's nothing you can do to get closer to Jesus. Sometimes you can get this picture that, oh, God, I pray, and we're just doing this sort of action like he's over there somewhere. We pray to the heavens. Jesus, we worship you, you're out there, when all the Bible says that he's in here. Do you know what the Bible actually does say that's out there? Up in the sky? In Ephesians, it says that the devil is in the skies. We've got lots of churches that are around and prophets praying, for something to fall from the sky into this place. I don't know. I'm not saying, I'm not, not accusing anything. It's just that it's it's not in the Bible. The whole new covenant is about you've been made the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. Christ is in you. He is in your heart. You are one with him. He is in you. You are in him. I don't know. Exactly why the Old Temple was destroyed. They always say that it was some place that you had to go to, and it has this curtain that was veiling in. And if you had to, you went through the same, some sort of ritual to clean yourself up and make yourself holy so that you could enter into this place that's all guarded off from everyone else. And then the Holy Spirit or the, the Holy of Holies is in this confined little secret place. And that's where it talks about how for. Years and years and years, this place has been hidden, but now it's been revealed. The curtain has been ripped from the top down, meaning from heaven to earth, and opened up so that everyone can have access into this place through faith, not through your good works. I remember, um, I've shared this before as well, at a place I used to work, there was a guy there who was... Uh, Professor, like, would say that he's atheist openly, preaches that he's an atheist. And he'd had a really sore back for a number of, like, weeks now. And as I'm there, I'm only young, like 21 or something. And uh, I keep having this stirring. I want to pray for him. And days and days go on where I just don't do it. And eventually I have the courage to go up to him and ask him, oh, this is going to sound weird, which is the, the catchphrase of every Christian when they want to pray for someone. Um, but I just, want to, I just thought that maybe I could pray for you. And he's straight out, no, nah. get stuffed. Nah. I don't want you to, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff, so go away. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I still have this stirring, like a cheekiness almost, that keeps coming every day. And so then I keep, every now and then, go past and go, so, you want me to pray for you now? <laughs> and uh, just goes on by weeks and weeks. And then eventually, he's like, oh, why do you keep asking me? I was like, I don't know, really, but I just want to pray for you. I really believe that you can be healed. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, go on, go on then. So I pray for him. It says nothing. Doesn't, I asked him how it is and stuff, and he's just like, ah, oh, same, whatever. So, but that really wasn't the point. I think he did get healed because after the, the next day and that, he was totally fine. But <laughs> the, the point is right after I prayed for him at that, at that particular time, this is an atheist guy, and uh, he grabs my, my shoulders and stuff, and he says, do you know what? Don't ever be ashamed of what you believe. I was like, Phew. From this guy. I'm like, what? So I realized this whole situation was all about me, not this guy anyway. But uh, it was powerful a message that I believe was through the Holy Spirit for me just to, to let me know actually what I have and what I'm supposed to be sharing is powerful. Even if I look like an idiot, even if I look foolish. It's a message of power. It's a message that people need to hear. And I spoke to him a little bit after that about what Christianity really is. I said to him, my belief system might not be the same as what you think Christians are actually like. I said that I believe that justification and that our salvation is by faith. It's not by obeying a whole bunch of good things. Whereas most people think that Christians, as soon as you become a Christian, now you have to be a good person. Now you have to obey the Ten Commandments. Now you need to try and live right. You need to be a good person. You need to try and uh, get brownie points with God. And so I have to kind of leave away all this life and then I have to start judging everyone else. That's not what Christianity is. As I said, it's a gift from God. And it only comes by faith that we are justified freely by faith and by faith alone. There's nothing else that you can do. We can't be good enough. There's no way that we could ever be good enough. And Paul knew this and he knew it so strongly that he would even use graphic ways of describing the gospel by saying our righteousness is like dung. It's like a lot of other words. It is rubbish compared to the goodness and the, and the absolute wonder of salvation and what Jesus has done for us. So Christ in you is the hope of glory. Don't be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed of it.